everyone, I am Mike Senior and I am here with a puddle of John Witten for the <laughs> 24th episode of Project Studio <laughs> Tea Break. Listeners, I never receive a warning as to how I'm going to be introduced. <laughs> and normally I, I, I hope, I just kind of roll with it, I go with the flow, but... Um, a puddle of John Witten. Well, hi. Hi there, Mike. Well, no, I just understood that you've been working yourself to a pulp since we last spoke. <laughs> That's true. It's been my first set of 80-hour weeks in a little while. Yeah. But great fun and couldn't have been for a better project. Um, so I am exhausted. I'm puddle-ish, certainly. <laughs> kind of propped up in the chair with my face pointed towards the microphone. Looking forward to not moving very much for the foreseeable future. And I hope you're feeling extravagantly smug. I mean, just as a rule, yes. But, um, but why in particular in this case? <laughs> well, it's because, you know, we were talking about the Grammys last month. Mm, oh, we were. Well, I scanned a bit further down the list and it turns out that Two of your previous What's My Jam picks got into the Grammys as well. We had Kirk Franklin's Love Theory, which is brilliant and got best gospel performance. Yeah. And Caroline Shaw's Orange, despite my disparaging comments. (laughs) Well, do you know what it is? I think it's because the Grammys were announced before your comments went public. I think so. About the kind of bubblegum surface quality um, (laughs) of, of this music. Uh, thank God for Ms. Shaw. Yeah. And, and of course, Parasite completely swept up at the Oscars. Oh, my goodness. After you raved about that. Is it possible we're tastemakers, trendsetters? I think we have our fingers on the throbbing pulse of the media <laughs> industry. White guys in their 30s. Look, we know where it's at. We, we've always been cool. We'll always be cool. Mm. But but anyway, I feel like you're dodging the question, Mike. How have you earned... Here we are on a tea break... How do you presuppose to be here? How, where do you get the gumption for that? <laughs> well, I am a crushed relic of a man. I'm a, I'm a hollow shell. Oh, yeah? My dreams are dashed <laughs> on the unfeeling rocks of despair. Did, uh, did you burn your toast again this morning then or something? <laughs> <laughs> it was almost as bad as that. <laughs> oh, oh, goodness me. My second attempt for the voice of Germany crashed and burned. No! no! Oh, it did. Germany has lost a star. I think they just didn't recognise my genius. I have to agree, and probably the judges would agree with that as well. <laughs> that they did not recognise any genius. In That's you. it, yeah. <laughs> so we have a unanimous consensus <laughs> on that. What did you offer this time around? Well, I was singing a song by uh, Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Called Let It Be. Okay. Previously, I sang Fever by Peggy Lee. I recall. Do you know the format? Have you ever done that kind of thing? Uh, no. It's a really freaky thing, right? Mm. You rock up and they funnel you into a room, about 30 of you, mm. and they sit you in rows of six. Okay. So you're in this kind of block set of seats. Yeah. And then there's a line of gaffer tape on the floor in front of the front row, and each row in turn takes turns filing out of their row and standing on this line. Okay. And then there are like a panel of two or three judges sitting at tables like two or three metres away and they just point to the person on the end and go off you go no backing track or anything it's entirely a cappella. wow in front of 30 people oh my god and it's interesting because the reason I decided to do it was that I had been with my younger daughter to the kids voice auditions okay because she wanted to do that mm. and there they're all kind of really kind of touchy feely and very supportive and you know the mm. kids go in in small groups of three and they have their backing tracks and they each get the opportunity to do all three of their songs but with the adults amazing there's Nothing like that. It's like you get about 30 to 45 seconds a cappella on one song and you have to choose it in front of 30 
people. There's a little less hand-holding. In something that looks like a kind of office building. And standing in a line of five or six people. Mm. Like, you, you don't even get a moment to come up by yourself. Oh, no. You're all sat there on that line. It's like the usual suspect, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, I, I think cattle at auction are given a little more privacy and dignity than what you're describing. I mean, they do their best to try and talk it down, but it is quite intimidating. I'm going to go ahead and say, I, I don't feel like they do their very best to not make it intimidating, though. No, no. no. On the queue, file out of your row and step up to the gaffer tape line before the panel is just not a comforting sentence, you know? Yeah. Maybe in German it sounds lovely, but I'm going to go ahead and doubt that. And they didn't even offer to give you, like, a starting note if you needed it. Really? Because, I mean, you can't sing if you're singing in the wrong range, and I don't have perfect pitch. Yeah. And so I asked them for a note, and they said, oh, uh, I don't know, I don't know. So I had to get my phone out and find a note. Oh, no, that's not how you want to start. <laughs> but anyway... The thing is, the previous time, I did Piggy Lee's Fever, mm. and I thought, well, maybe I undercooked it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to push the boat out and really give it the heave-ho. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm going to play it as if I'm not that kind of person. Oh, even better, the surprise reveal. So I deliberately dressed quite conservatively and played it, you know, <laughs> quite restrained. I don't believe you even have those clothes, but... And the thing that made the whole thing worth it for me was that this thing starts really loud. Mm. It's like, baby, this is Russian roulette. <laughs> I started off like that, right? And the girl standing next to me practically <laughs> jumped out of her skin when I started singing. <laughs> so it feels like it feels like the moral victory was yours. Oh, it was such fun, that bit. Do you receive any feedback from the judges, or is it very much... Uh... Nothing at all. Really? They go out of the room, and they come back in, and they say, OK, these people can stay, and the rest of you can bog off, pretty much. Gosh, yeah, again, cattle at auction, I think, have it slightly gentler. I mean, it's not going to put me off. Heck no. I've already decided this is going to be a yearly tradition. There's no such thing as a dramatic comeback without a couple of minor setbacks first. Oh, absolutely. They're just queuing up your underdog rise story. Exactly. And you see, as I get less and less in the target audience for The Voice Germany, (laughs) I'll slowly get older and older until I become absolutely a shoo-in for The Voice Senior. (laughs) (laughs) Give it 20 years and I'll be the spring chicken of The Voice Senior. (laughs) Speaking of The Voice Senior. Oh my goodness me. And of not getting notes. Mm-hmm. I felt so sorry for one guy. Mm. I mean, one of the interesting things about the whole process is that you realise how many pretty good singers there are out there. Right. I mean, I was pretty sure who they'd select of the people. There were there were some who were clearly a lot better than the rest. Mm. But there were such a broad range of people there who could actually sing properly, right. even if not remarkably, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there were also a few people who clearly someone should have taken them to one side and said, no, I think maybe this, this one isn't for you. Mm. Um... There was a guy who must have been, I'd say, 75 if he was a day. Oh. Maybe 80. Oh, I just want to make him a cup of tea. And he came along to sing Nessun Dorma. That's a heck of a song to choose. But he said, oh, can I have a note? And I still had my phone out. So I gave him a note. Mm -mm. And by that point, the judge had kind of worked out some app on a PC that would give her a note. And she gave him a note. Okay. But then he starts off net of the Nessun Dorma. And I could hear him do it. He did a little three-note rise, and he started the three-note rise on the note we'd given him. Oh, no. Oh, no. And so you could see this car crash coming. You could see the entire roadmap with the big X marked crash. And then he gets to the bit where it goes out of its range, and he stops and rather sheepishly goes, are you sure you gave me the right note? Thank God it wasn't just me who'd given him the note. Poor thing. But it was thoroughly worth the morning's um, going into town. Fantastic. I'm very, very glad to hear it. But of course, my confidence has taken a massive hit. Until next year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all the way on the drive back home. <laughs>
So speaking of phone apps um, and their use in music, I had the pleasure of working with some really brilliant professionals. We had a we had a really excellent live sound engineer on this show. Yeah. The show, in case anyone was curious, is no longer ongoing, but we we opened, we got five shows in, and um this brilliant, brilliant live sound engineer had a heck of a job. It's not a large stage. Mm. He had 13 Madonna mics. Sorry, no, hairline, not Madonna. What's the difference between a hairline and a Madonna mic? Madonna, I believe, comes in from the side, doesn't it? I don't know. Uh, that's a terminology I've never heard. <laughs> right. Is it kind of more blessed than your average mic? Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a Madonna mic is kind of like a gamer mic, I believe, but very slim and there aren't big headphones with it and stuff, but similar position. Yeah. Hairline, I'm showing on my head and this is a podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> hairline is so named. What's that squeaking noise? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come to this. Hairline is so nice because it sits um, right at the top of your hairline, fairly hidden, but it does mean that it's got to get all the way past your eyes and your nose to reach the sound maker. Yes. So we had those. Now, as Mike has so subtly and gently alluded to, yep. if you were starting at my nose and going up till you found my hairline, well, this podcast wouldn't be as family friendly as it is. <laughs> you, look, you'd get most of the way down my back without anything. That's that's all I'll say. So they had to wrap mine around my ear. Oh, right. They didn't go through your beard. I mean, that would have been the obvious choice. Oh, that would have been... You know what? I was about to sing the praises of the sound engineer, but he did not think to put a microphone in my beard. So I'm just going to cancel all of that <laughs> right now. But anyway, yeah. So he put it around your ear. They put, they put it around my ear and he managed to get a great sound out of that. There were also two basses, three guitars, a loud drum set, piano, two different glockenspiels, um, and a hammered dulcimer, all in a quite small space. Wow. And we never once had feedback. Never? No, no. Did he have it switched on? <laughs> <laughs> it was that small a thing, the mics were just there to make you feel good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> to make me feel like a, a clever grown-up musician. But no, so he, he knew his stuff. And he went to a gig weekend before and he was telling us about how terrible the mixing was. For that show? No, 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 for the gig he went to the weekend prior. All right. And, you know, when, when sound people say that, I tend to take it with a pinch of salt. Mm. Because there's something about, you know, needing a 3 dB cut at 500 hertz, which will make their teeth ache. Yeah. But which to the average Joe, or indeed this John, yep. just won't much matter. Mm. And I, I said as much to him, and he said, no, 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 you don't understand. I actually went over to the sound desk to see what on earth he was doing. Yeah. And the guy was mixing this rock band on his iPhone <laughs> and I you know I'm trying to save face at this point so I say well you know what look I've had shows in symphony halls and all the monitors are done on an iPad like there's a huge amount of functionality in these machines now and he said no no, no you don't understand John it must have been a, a kind of free app or something because every 30 seconds an ad would pop up and he would be unable to do anything <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> Until the ad video had finished playing. <laughs> and then he was given his faders back. <laughs> oh, wow. It's like, oh, I just have to quickly play a round of Candy Crush before I can get enough points to continue using the ad. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, wow. And he said he watched him in between ads because he, bless him, he could tell it wasn't sounding great, rush between the different channels and try and do a bit of EQ here, oh, try to find no. a compressor there. Oh. Um, but then another ad would pop up. <laughs> so that made me think of you. Thank you. 
Now, more than ever, the world is bombarded by astonishing headlines. Mm -hmm. But none more deserving of the Project Studio Tea Break news team spotlight than the exciting announcement that... Oh, yeah? We have a new patron! Welcome! Hello, Rob! (laughs) Hey, Rob! Welcome to the fold. Rob, this is my mum. My mum, this is Rob. Okay, we've, just, we've introduced the listeners to each other. Darius, this is Rob. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Welcome to the clubhouse. Yeah. Sit down. Feel free to grab a soda from the machine. It, I think it's like 70p now. It keeps going up. No, I think it's maybe a comment on the frenetic nature of our conversations that he said um, he called himself a podfaster. Now, what's this? Because he subscribed to so many podcasts that he listens to them all on one and a half times speed so that you can get through all the subscriptions. Can you imagine us at that speed? I know, but he said, you're one of the ones I play at (laughs) 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 1.0. Now, I mean, he was kind enough to say he plays it like that because he wants it to last longer, but I think we know the real reasons. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can read between the lines. What I love about this is this dovetails so nicely. Mm. You know, it has been said with absolute accuracy that your definition of quality in music is lots of different notes over a short period of time. Mm. Could be that our our definition of podcast quality is just lots of noises over a short period of time. Lots of different words. Mm. Maximum syllables per minute. (laughs) Eminem will be proud. (laughs) I think Eminem does credit us on uh, Music to be Murdered by (laughs) as as a really core influence to his rapping style. And unfortunately, this also brings in the uh, sad additional news of our I Now grudge match poll oh wait really because of course new patrons mean new danger yeah and unfortunately this now means that it's standing at two all <gasps> yes <laughs> yes oh! Rob you know what I'm going to buy that coke for you and I'm going to go to the corner shop I'm going to get some ice in case you'd like that <laughs> so he's officially your patron <laughs> absolutely he is <laughs> Rob, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to address every one of my segments directly to you. Mm. Listeners all, you are more than welcome to sit in on my and Rob's conversation. <laughs> but know this. Everything I say of any quality, both the statements I make that will be of any quality, yeah. this episode are just directed at Rob. Yeah. And I'm also delighted to say that it has been a good news month for the serious intellectual music listener. Undoubtedly so. Because the listening figures for BBC Radio 3 have been released. Now, for our non-UK listeners, <laughs> BBC Radio 3 is the highbrow, the arty. Absolutely. The classical music radio station provided by the BBC. Now, though it's gone out of favour, there was a classic FM. Mm. And to be clear... That just played the popular classics, and I hope you can hear the sneer Mm. that I'm spreading like Marmite over the word pop. The common classics. Rather. There was was a good amount of Elgar and some of the more accessible Beethovens, Mm. but Radio 3 is where one simply must go for Taverner Motets. The less good Haydn String Quartets. (laughs) Yes. But yes, so it's good news in the listener figures because they are up 16%. Hey, that's brilliant. Almost record-breaking listener figures. That's really wonderful. Now, are you you a classical music listener? Have you listened to Radio 3? I do. I listened to Radio 3 in Germany. All right, good. I started listening to it about 12 years ago with Late Junction, which is the late-night show where they put on... They put on some really challenging stuff. (laughs) Late Junction is a kind of dark street corner that you go to on a dare. And you will discover some really wonderful alternative music. There's also just a... So we um, 
gentle voiced, we hung out some pots and also some pans outside on a windy day. We recorded them for an hour and a half. Please enjoy. Here's for all you avant-gardists out there. <laughs> so basically, it's, it's what my dad would characterise as plinky-plonk music. Yes, there you go. <laughs> that was what my dad called it too. Music of the avant-garde was plinky-plonk. <laughs> Anything with an electronic bass drum was thumpy-thumpy. Oh, I like the idea of thumpy-thumpy music. I think I might <laughs> recharacterise all EDM as thumpy-thumpy music now. You wouldn't be wrong, though, would you? Really? <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> I think maybe it would be more accurate to call it thumpsy-thumpsy, though. Thumpsy-thumpsy. Yeah, no, you know what? You're not on my last. So, it's been good news for BBC Radio 3. Excellent news. It has, however, been slightly less good news for Classic FM. Oh dear, I'm sorry, I may have slightly foreshadowed this one. This is the news that last month, an 82-year-old from Aintree called Ian Trainer mm-hmm. was jailed for 24 weeks mm-hmm. for playing Classic FM <laughs> at a level that caused distress oh to his neighbour, Mr Thomas Thompson. <laughs> wait, wait, sorry, what's the name of my new favourite person in the world? <laughs> Ian Trainer. I will be adopting Ian Trainer, reverse adopting him as a grandparent <laughs> on the first day of his release. That's incredible. And it wasn't his first bit of jail time. Wait, sorry. What? He'd already been locked up before. He was under a restraining order since December. Oh my goodness me. <laughs> to stop him from playing music too loud and terrorising Mr. Thompson. So he was in breach of his restraining order. Just <laughs> Brilliant and sorry, Mr. Trainer terrorising Mr. Thompson is a play, a kind of Whitehall farce, which I would pre-book tickets for. Um, And you know, we've got the plot as well. I think this thing is basically written. As soon as the theatres reopen, we should slip that in there. To quote Mr. Thompson, it's not just one day of the week, it's every day of the week. I go out early morning and stay out until late afternoon to avoid the noise. It's just unbelievable at times. Oh no. He's honestly driving it out of his house. And just to be a 100% 100% clear on our, on our criticisms with Classic FM. It's not that the 14 songs they ever play are bad, <laughs> but they are only 14 songs. So mm. once you've listened to a day of Classic FM... You've kind of hit most of the highlights. My God. <laughs> and it sounds like at deafening volumes. Totally. What defence was offered by the defendant? What, what was Well, the... uh, when he was eventually arrested for his uh, jail time this time, yeah. uh, his defence was... I like playing music at a level I enjoy. He also said that he had a bad cold and could only hear in one ear. And that his medication meant that he couldn't wear headphones because they irritated his ears. Incredible. What a thing to shout to the gallery as the bailiffs drag you off. And eventually, when it was clear it wasn't going his way, he gestured to his ankle and announced to the court, put the ball and chain on here. Wow. Okay. (laughs) He's my new favourite person, basically. I can only assume he is going to be very pleasantly surprised by what the UK penal system is at the moment. Mm. You know, from what I hear, the amount of actual rock breaking needed and just the implied martyrdom he's put the ball and chain on here you know ah fine I will fool for my deeply held beliefs convictions that I should play classic FM at deafening (laughs) volumes to my neighbour dear Tom for this week, uh, it's, it's Rob. You better get it right. Oh my God! Wait, <laughs> cut that out! Cut that out! He's all I have left in the world. I'm going to start again. I'm going to say some really bad swear words so that you can't use this bit. Bums, uh, toe fungus, uh, willy wobbler. All right, dear Rob. 
For this month's face farm, I want to take you far back in the annals of time to about a week ago. Ancient history. Ancient history, which surely no one could be held culpable for today. <laughs> and this is this is going to be back to the show, the wicker husband that we just um, opened at the watermill. Oh, I had dearly hoped that this would restock our... Bouquet of face palms. Oh, oh, believe me, my cup <laughs> runneth over and spilleth <laughs> on a nice carpet. Um, so yeah, I would hesitate to say that my role in this show was multi-instrumentalist only because I know I speak in the presence of an official Project Studio Tea Break world record holder. No. <laughs> so by your standards, Mike, I am just sitting in a corner playing on a swanny whistle, but... Mm. <laughs> As a lesser mortal, this was a good bit of a challenge for me. You're a non-simultaneous multi-instrumentalist. I was on many different instruments. A lot of them were percussion or tuned percussion mm. or, you know, the dulcimer. And Which arguably is tuned percussion. It is tuned percussion, but... <laughs> you thought you'd sneak that one past me. Okay, okay, but do you, in a day-to-day, call a piano tuned percussion? Yeah. Okay, well that's a... Uh... Asked and answered question. Fighting talk. (laughs) (laughs) I guess (laughs) organologically? What's the word I'm looking for? The classification of instruments. I have no idea. (laughs) Sounds a bit rude to me. It does, doesn't it? Right. (laughs) Moving swiftly on. Okay. Tuned percussion, including... The Havard Arsenal. <laughs> meant that I had 10 different stick sets that I, I was using. I oh, had. wow. Oh, oh, no. oh Mike. <laughs> I guarantee you it's worse than that. So, <laughs> than I think. Worse than you think. I had uh, wooden mallets and hard rubber mallets for the glockenspiel. I had hmm. soft mallets for cymbals and some tom rolls. Okay. I had regular drumsticks. I had hot rods. Wow. Steel brushes. Yep. And also these kind of birch twigs bound together at the bottom. Okay. There were a lot of sticks. I can see. All of which meant that there were some very, very fast changes between stuff. There was a lot of playing two, sometimes three instruments at the same time. But more than that, just sticks going everywhere. Now, (laughs) any experienced multi-instrumentalist will tell you that just as important as the music you're playing is rehearsing and remembering exactly where every pair of sticks will be. Yeah. And I had four different stick stands at my different stations. Blimey. Now, I say any experienced multi-instrumentalist will tell you that. (laughs) And all I can offer in my defence is that apparently I wasn't an experienced (laughs) multi-instrumentalist. Have you become experienced in the last week or so you know what i would say i've taken a healthy step towards it so as some of you will also know um as well as doing music i do acrobatics and i had one scene in this show where i was working as an acrobat i was uh, hang on hang on i think we need to backpedal on this one you know this mike i have seen a picture on facebook of you holding someone up in a kind of a hand sandy thing <laughs> But don't just drop this whole, oh, you all know I do acrobatics. I I need more detail here. There is time in the podcast for this. I mean, you're the one who's got to edit the nonsense, so fine. Well, I mean, but have you trained, like, to do acrobatics? Or is this just something you... You picked up a book at the library that said, my first acrobatics. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure... So why am I asking that question? This is John I'm speaking to. Surely that's what you did. <laughs> yes! Well, no, no. What it is, is that as as an English-speaking, white, straight-presenting male, I just kind of assumed... Okay. Lots of people can do acrobatics. I can do lots of things. Chances are, I can do acrobatics. <laughs> no, so I... Pl- pl- please don't try that approach. You will hurt yourself and other people. 
<laughs> quite badly. So no, I, I took it up as a hobby about six or seven years ago and then gradually got more serious about it. Wow. So I am I am what's called a base. Oh yeah, yeah. So is my daughter. Oh she's just cheerleading. Seriously. Oh my gosh. She's a base. Get off the Skype call. I want to talk to her about what list she's doing at the moment. I'll let her know. She'll be thrilled. I'll just mention it casually in passing. I'll go, oh, you know, John's a base. And just see where it leads. Cheerleaders are my rock stars. Yeah. Where is the interesting acrobatics at the moment? It's gone totally out of variety shows. There's some in the international circuses, but really in kind of most circuses, it's the same six moves that have been done for a hundred years, which is so exciting the first time you see it and deathly boring the third time you see it. Yeah. But cheerleading, because of that competitive element, oh my God, they are... They're constantly pushing it, yeah. They're doing amazing things. Now... My next joke was going to be some really derisory comments about how talentless bases are, which was fine when that was just going to be self-deprecating. <laughs> but it's got that personal dimension now. But Mike, you've gone ahead and taken a wrench in the form of your wonderful and entirely unwrench-like daughter. And you've just gone ahead and you've, you've shoved that in my spokes to the point that I'm now in the most awkward situation an English person can be of needing to praise the skill that one does oneself Mm. or to downplay the achievements of someone else's wonderful daughter. So I'm just going (laughs) to sidestep that whole thing and say (laughs) the base is the person on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. We had the female lead, a fantastic actor called Laura Johnson, Mm. is also an athlete of various kinds and Ah, had the patience and skills to learn learn some bits. All of this is by the vibe. My mind is already boggling at the intersection of acrobatics and too many sticks. (laughs) I'll be honest, (laughs) in an ideal world, there would be absolutely none. Right. Suffice it to say that John the musician was not doing any acrobatics but there was a swamp creature who did so Mm. I had to run backstage and Sarah would be there waiting for me Sarah our one of our incredible backstage staff and my dresser. Oh, okay. Um, and it's a surreal experience. You just sort of go starfish mm. and all your clothes disappear. It's like a manual Iron Man. Oh my, thank you! That's all it is. I was going to say you after two Jaeger bombs, but yours is much better. <laughs> <laughs> so, show two or three, I think we were on. It's pre-press night, thank God. Yeah. And I do my starfish and all the all the things whisk away and my other clothes come back on and I, and I run and we do this acrobatic sequence, me and Laura Johnson. Um, I run back off stage yeah and Sarah is there waiting again and puts me in the next costume for the next half I'm sweating very hard yeah for acrobatics yeah and then you know run back on to the stage ready for the next bit which is a Dolphin solo and I, I have a minute or so to kind of compose myself and just breathe which is great yeah. so I, I go to get the sticks the sticks aren't there I go oh look at the other place look at the third <laughs> station the sticks aren't there and I think oh, where are the Oh, God, they're in my pocket. Oh, no. And they're not in this pocket. Oh, they're in a pocket. No. <laughs> the clothes I wore two changes ago. Oh. So I very calmly and with some speed slip backstage <laughs> to Alex, who's our DSM. And I say, I need the trousers back. She says, which ones? I said, my, my Act One trousers. Yeah. She said, why? I said, the Dosma sticks are in the pocket. She said, why? <laughs> Will you stop asking why? This is a panic situation. At which point, I started to feel slightly... You don't need to know. Just bloody get them for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's a, look, it's a good question. Mm. I mean, this is a show with a lot of set, a lot of props, a lot of costume. So being an organised operation, these trousers were a long way away at this point. Yes. Because they weren't needed for the rest of the show normally. They've been filed. 
And my experience of the rest was standing calmly by my dulcimer, with some fear, looking at my hardcore percussion sticks, you know, beaters, <laughs> and wondering which one of them would do the least amount of damage to my very delicate instrument. For context, the sticks I use on my dulcimer are very thin slivers of bamboo mm. with, with rubber tips. Mm. Like, a pair won't weigh more than an ounce. Yeah. And I'm there. <laughs> I'm there looking at these heavy drumsticks, looking at brushes. I wonder if I get away with just glissandy. Um, instead of the tune I've been paid to play. Finger-style dulcimer. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wind chime it. Can you done it with your fingernails and flicked it? Not this tune. This tune is up and down the what's it. Oh, no. And also the danger with fingers is that because the strings just sit on bridges at quite low tension, yep. more than once I've knocked a string off a bridge. Wow, and then with a very entertaining flick kind of sound. A flick, and then, of course, it gets much looser so you get a lovely low <laughs> noise it's exactly like that yep so i stand horrified for i don't know it felt like a week yes and then alex pokes her head around the curtain with a facial expression that says i'm not going to do this again yeah hands me my sticks just in time for me to do that so oh wow backstage crew got a round of drinks on me that evening excellent i later heard stories of people sprinting silently upstairs to get back to the costume <laughs> store um and just hurling clothes to one side to uncover these trousers with these sticks in them i was so hoping that alex had presented you with some wooden spoons. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! That's a very deep cut. <laughs> a special joke there for listeners of episode two or so. No, the, the sticks were had. Oh. I'm, I'm not sure if there's a moral pullable from that story. Know where your sticks are. To a certain extent, it's an extra nuance on the whole Malteser issue earlier, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, you've had a number of wardrobe malfunctions, haven't you? I mean, let's pick our language carefully, but it's true. <laughs> Dear Rob, our question today... Never gets old. <laughs> Never will. Rob, you're my guy. You're right there with me. Um, Jacob Gargas of Kansas City, he asks, backing up your data is important, mm. and I'm wondering what I should be doing to keep my data safe. Just starting out, I'm sure a cloud-based service like Dropbox will be perfectly fine. But as I become more involved and the data starts to add up, what are my best options? What are your methods of backing up your projects and audio files? Hmm. We can start with just simply how we do how we do this podcast. Yeah. Um, I have a piece of hardware which converts the WAV files that I record onto my computer into punch cards on Ritz crackers. Mm. I then repackage these in their original packaging and return them as defective to the factory, mm. which is actually <laughs> near where Mike lives. Well, that's where my mole is. I have my mole in the factory. This unnamed mole in the factory will then intercept uh, these because of some code words I've put on them, mm. put them on a slow boat to China. Mm. A crucial step, that. Airmail those to Mike, who... You have you have a savon, and this really was the key to the, the whole thing. Finding yes. Geraldine, who can eat these Ritz crackers mm -hmm. and then recreate almost perfectly the sound of my voice. So mm. most of you tea breakers, you'll never have actually heard me, John. That the sound you're hearing right now is Geraldine. Mm eating crackers, the crunch of which Mike has edited out. That is quite some job. And interpreting what it is mm. that I said into a separate microphone. <laughs> um, so you could try that. Yeah. I think we knock it on the head there, actually. Um, 
Kraken's based approach. You're welcome, Jacob. <laughs> Do you actually rely on backed up stuff much? I have a similar approach to backed up old project files as I do to, I don't know, a box of old books that I'm planning to give away one day. I keep them there in case one night I wake up and I think, oh, I need to reread For Whom the Bell Tolls now. <laughs> but it never happens. No, no. And all I actually need is that box to exist somewhere just because it keeps my mind at rest. Yeah. I have been through enough systems that my project backups from more than two years ago are an absolute tangled mess. I am confident that it will never be worth my effort to actually comb <laughs> through and find anything of quality. So basically your backup structure is to back it up in such a disorganised way mm -hmm. that you'll never be tempted to think you need the backup. It keeps me moving forward, Mike. That's a <laughs> fabulous tactic. That basically your backup strategy is to make sure that you'll never want to use backups. Yes. I mean, that is bulletproof. Now, now, they do need to exist. Right. Like that box of books, which I definitely never want to read again. Yeah. I can't actually just put that out on the curb for people to take. No. Because then my anxiety sets in. So I need to be able to at least pretend to believe that I could access that funky little tune I wrote seven years ago. But to know that it's so difficult to access that you'll never want to do it. Exactly. Yeah. The Queen has the absolute right to declare war on any sovereign nation on the one condition that she never uses it. Yes. <laughs> I have complete access to everything I've ever read. <laughs> on the condition that I never try to access it. It's a stable system. It's a beautiful, elegant system. Yes. <laughs> I love it. What, what's your backup structure, Mike? Uh, the thing is, I need to use backups the whole time. Really? I'm forever pulling stuff out of my archives because I'm always... I didn't think kives would be the second syllable of that word. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'm always reusing photos and audio examples and all sorts of stuff. In fact, I was just doing a video for my Cambridge MT patrons mm. based on a presentation I did at the Audio Engineering Society two or three years ago. Mm. But for that, I used a whole bunch of archive material from the previous 10 years. Oh, wow. So I had to go back through all my archives and pull stuff out. I pulled out uh, the audio examples and photos from that piano session we did. Amazing! Years ago. I remember that. And literally pretty much every Everything I've ever done freelance for SOS, I still have squirreled away somewhere. Most things actually are on optical discs, right once media. Okay. And I just have piles and piles of it. It was DVDs, now it's Blu-rays. Right. And I also have like a backup drive that I keep the whole time because I know how often I've just f***ed something up. <laughs> and then I'll just be able to go, oh, I've still got that file on my backup, which is great. Amazing. Now that drive then I replace every six months. Oh, okay. And just keep that on the shelf because drives, you know, wear out after a while, particularly when they're being accessed regularly. Yeah. So every six months I have a snapshot of everything that was on my machine. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole row of like, hard drives sitting on my shelf. That's a wonderful amount of back storage. In terms of your actual filing, is past Mike kind to future Mike? Not always, unfortunately. Are there any folders called Final Final 2? <laughs> or something like that? Or New Song? <laughs> There's totally some of that kind of stuff. It's raw files, right? Uh, computer backups or <laughs> backed up stuff. Second try. Second try. I like that a lot. Keep this one. Or my personal least favourite, which past John does to future John. Delete this. 
<laughs> because there will be times when I have to make a file just to test something's working. Yeah. But I know there's nothing useful in this. So I'll call it delete this in the hope that when I come across it in the future, I'll just think, oh, okay, I'll, I'll delete this. But I don't trust past John. <laughs> I know. I He's know. often not acted in my best interest. So every single time I have to go into the file and I have to really check. And you know what? It turns out the <laughs> has always been honest so far. <laughs> um, but he may be hustling you. Still don't trust him after all these years. I mean, the thing is that it's evolved over time. Mm. Like I'm getting so many DVDs and Blu-rays now that it's becoming logistically difficult to go back through and find them all. And I keep thinking, oh, maybe one of these days I need to actually have some kind of a filing system or something for them rather than just having them on big spindles on my shelf. <laughs> the filing system of a pile. And I've started to do it. Okay. I've started to go, okay, right, well, this is the spindle that has all the mixed rescues on it. Mm. And this one has all the session notes on it. And this one has all my engineering stuff. And this has all the multi-track library stuff and all the podcast stuff. But the problem is that I wasn't very clever as I was doing it. So a lot of the back stuff has a bit of multi-track on the disc and a bit of podcast and a bit of session oh, notes. No. It's like, okay. which pile do I put it on? And then it works against you because you go, oh, it's that session notes I did. And you go look in the session notes pile. It's not there. And you go, oh, hmm, do I need to look back through the podcast pile now? Because is it one of those little squitty ones that was, mm-hmm. oh yeah. So I kind of learn in retrospect. You know, as I'm leafing individually through 50 DVDs, that's the point with every DVD you're going, must remember to split up projects. <laughs> must remember to split up projects. And it kind of gets ingrained. Okay. So it's gradually, the higher strata are going to be more ordered and more organized from the lessons learned. Well, they say that you should have all your data in at least two places, don't they? Yes. And I was feeling very smug, actually, a few years ago when I attended, I think it was one of the music shows again. Mm. And I was thinking, well, you know, I'm backing everything up on optical discs. I've got this mirror on my hard drive. Yeah. And I go to this MPG, the Music Producers Guild, panel on backing up your data. Yeah. And they were like, well, you've got to have it in at least three places. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and two have got to be geographically separated and one should be in the cloud. And The spatially distinct thing is a funny one. Goodness knows my external hard drive is just in the same room as my laptop but it's a good point that if they were attached together and some massive power surge came through or if you just had a fire yeah you know touch wood but should a fire or a flood or something come in that could be the lot that could be the ball game but it's interesting because i'm beginning increasingly to wonder whether a lot of the stuff that i back up is actually worth keeping because mm. certainly in this age where people are immediately posting everything online. Mm. They're immediately uploading stuff. Mm. How much do you need to back up your photos if all your photos go onto Instagram anyway? Mm-hmm. But that has been a concern, actually, because I've heard about like photo sharing services and stuff where people have kept their whole photo library on there and then the company's gone bust and they've lost all their like yep. kids' baby photos and stuff. It just disappears. Yep. And then the advice went back around to print them out, put them in a shoebox, <laughs> covered under the stairs. Yeah. Which, yeah, was the idea before this digital stuff even came around. I want to slightly broaden the scope of this question, though, and ask you where you back up your ideas. That's right. We've gone all philosophical. Wow. How do you capture ideas of the moment for future consideration, appraisal, and possible (laughs) execution? Mike is holding up a sad little scrap of crumpled paper, listeners. (laughs) Now, actually, I have to be quite specific about this because... I am borderline OCD about this. Mm. In fact, I can show you the two tools of my trade. Okay, a mechanical pencil, I believe. Not any old mechanical pencil. Oh, no. I'm a zealot for Papermate <laughs> non-stop HB pencils. 
I have fistfuls of them on every surface. You're welcome for the unpaid sponsorship. And these are the only pencils that I use. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, I use bits of paper, but I always use them in the same way, and it's a really stupid way of doing it, and yet I still do it. Uh, yes, please. It's that I get an A4 sheet of paper, usually more than one sheet. Okay. And then I fold it into four... And then I write on quarters of the bit of paper. And I treat it almost like a little notebook when I'm taking notes or whatever. And then do you turn it inside out and use the other four quarters? Or is that heresy? Usually not. And that's one of the daft things about it because it's a bit wasteful of paper. But it means that I can... It's got a bit of stiffness so I can write on it without leaning on something and I can stick it in my pocket. <gasps> this is what... I had no idea we were going to get such a deep dive. Amazing. So when I go to a studio and want to take notes about what I see or if I'm planning some article or workshop on the train, this is where, this is where it all goes. So I have... Like a whole pile of scrappy bits of paper that I've scribbled all over. So what's the review process like on those? Like, I, I've got lots of examples of when you might write things on them, but when do you read them? Uh, when I can find them again. <laughs> right. When the time is right, they will appear. Oh, God, there have been those moments when I've gone, oh, shit. I wrote notes about something and I really need them and I don't know where the hell they are. And this folded bit of paper doesn't look any different than the other million of these I've created. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that is a comprehensive system. And what about you, John? Do you have, like, a dictaphone or do you write it on the back of your hand? Or Oh, my voice notes folder is a big old stack. Ah. And I think the greatest disservice to humanity is that the Android default voice note app doesn't prompt you to name a file when you finish recording it. Okay. It just records it as voice note 094. Now, why couldn't they have a voice note thing where it does this, the speech to text and you can just give it a title by speaking at it? Title? Funny dulcimer idea. That would be enough for me. It really, really would. Even if it did the same thing that Word documents do, mm. of making the title the first bit of text you've done. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> I mean, it would mean that all your ideas were called, um, what the hell am I going to call this then? <laughs> Wait, one second, let me get somewhere quiet. <laughs> is it switched on? Yes, there you go. There you go. A series in 95 parts. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I absolutely, I have no, I collect little notebooks. Ah, yes. About four inch tall that I can slip in a pocket and I am fast Didiously random with them. Right. Um, I have a good number on my bookshelf at home, and I will always try to, when I go travelling, I'll pick two at random, just make sure they have some empty pages in them. Yeah. And then I will, when I want to write something, I'll flick to a random place, because I enjoy being able to read them in that way. I know what you mean. I really enjoy just kind of being like, oh gosh, being surprised around each corner. It's kind of a mental diary. <laughs> mental in both senses of the word, because you will <laughs> jump between decades. Um, and moods rather fast. So have you ever been surprised or appalled by Pastor John appearing from the pages of this just as so you're coming in with a hot new idea? I'm frequently surprised and appalled by present John. <laughs> so past John is, is a whole different ball game. There's an amazing line in The Importance of Being Earnest that a character always brings their diary when they're travelling because one ought to have something sensational to read on the train. <laughs> and I, I suppose it's that sort of approach. But yes, definitely. I mean, yeah. these things have got my first attempts at poetry in them. Oh, wow. Something which will never see the light of any day. <laughs> once again that time of the morning when you're feeling a bit peckish there's that slight hole in your tummy your cereal has been partially digested and you feel that a a nice warm crusty slice of toast might be just what the doctor ordered so 
So, uh, there it was, indistinguishable from the real thing. Our toast foley for this month. Now, uh, I'm sure many of our listeners at home have figured this one out, but do you want to break us off a piece? Do you want to open the kimono, peek behind the curtain? How did you make such an accurate toast sound there, Mike? <laughs> well, I literally, I just reached around the studio and two completely random and unrelated non-topical things came to hand. Oh. There was this face mask that I just happened to have and this bottle of Sterilium Viragard hand sanitizer. And together they, I mean, it was just a match made in heaven. Wow, what an odd couple of things to find around the place. Presumably you've been doing some power tool usage and... And the Viragard was an excellent substitute for rubbing alcohol when I was cleaning old gaffer tape off my cables. Nifty. Unrelatedly wishing all our listeners health and wellness. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) with the toast laid out in front of us, warm and delicious looking, I'm in need of a jam. Desperately need of a jam. What you got for me, Mike? We've had a lot of more musical jams in the last few months. Mm-hmm. But this is a story that was sent to us via one of our favourite people. It is Darius. Darius. He sent me a link to this story that I've delightedly gone down the rabbit hole of. Amazing. Let me tell you this story from the beginning, because it is a perler. Yes, please. Leave nothing out. I am wrapped. Okay. 12 years ago, back in 2008, Mm -hmm. Christian rapper Flame... I'm already in love with this story. Okay, yes. (laughs) ...releases a track called Joyful Noise. Okay. Does pretty well. It's nominated for a Gospel Music Award. The album it's from is nominated for a Grammy. Nice. So it's widely available and, yeah, people like it. Very nice. Fast forward. Five years later. Mm -hmm. In 2013... Katy Perry releases her song, Dark Horse. I know the one. I'm, I'm a huge Perry head. Oh, can you whistle the verse, Hook? Um, oh, no, I'm thinking of Perfect Storm now. Is that Dark Horse? No, it's not that one. Does this ring any bells? Yes, but on like a grime, like it's not that high. It's on a kind of a breathy, kind of synthy thing. Yes. It's it's synthy ostinato behind the verse. Sounds familiar. Now, unfortunately, this bore something of a similarity to the riff that's all over Joyful Noise. Wait, really? And so Flame and his team decided to sue Katy Perry and her team for copyright infringement. Wait, they are accusing Katy Perry and her producers of listening to Christian rap. That's defamation. That's libel. (laughs) That is slander. And it will not stand. Even better, part of the case apparently even mentioned that they disapproved of Katy Perry's use of satanic terminology in the video of Dark Horse. That was one of the reasons they sued, apparently. Right. Anyway. Wow. So... It's not the vocal melody, it's not the lyrics, it's not the harmony, it's not the bass line, it's not the chords, <laughs> it's not the drum groove. It is this synth ostinato in the verse of the song that isn't the lead vocal melody. This synth hook. Yeah. So they sued Katy Perry over this. Okay. Fast forward another five years. I'm there. August 2019. Mm-hmm. After much, I assume, behind the scenes legal wrangling and letters being exchanged... Katy Perry and Flame appeared in court in front of a jury, and Katy Perry lost the case. Wow. $2.78 million worth of damage were awarded against her and her publisher. Wow. In response to this ruling, 
There was a video posted by a guy called Adam Neely. Have you ever heard of Adam Neely? I know of Adam's work, a brilliant YouTuber if ever there was one, but I haven't heard him hold forth on this. Well, for anyone who isn't familiar with him, he's a New York City-based bass player and composer, and he has a YouTube channel that has almost a million subscribers now. He's a he's big deal. Incredible. Uh, he has lessons about music and comments on music and music theory, and he's, yeah, he's just a really approachable guy, and he has a big following. He decided to do a video because he felt quite strongly that this whole lawsuit was ridiculous. And basically what he said was, this riff is all in quarter notes. It's just going down a minor scale. He picked out several other tunes that were probably almost as similar to this joyful noise thing, you know, like a Bach thing and like Go Down Moses and various other things that are yeah, copyright. He's like, this is just a ridiculous, idiotic court case. And how on earth did they win this? Right. And also calling out the guy who was the expert witness, <laughs> a guy called Todd Decker, who was the chair of the Washington University Music Department. Oh, OK, so not a no one. Oh, yeah. And Neely basically said that he felt that this guy knew that this was a ridiculous argument. Right. And that he just used a bunch of jargon to confuse the jury into thinking that this made any sense. Mm. And mm. Anyway, so Adam Neely felt strongly about this, did this video and said, no, this is ridiculous. I'm calling you out. This will hurt musicians. Yeah. I think this is a dangerous press because it's just a, like a falling minor third. There's nothing unique about this particularly. And the video went viral. Oh, really? Clocking up about three million views. Wow. So, Neely then <laughs> gives a whole load of interviews to various media outlets who've suddenly taken an interest, <laughs> effectively defending Katy Perry and her publisher Warner Chapel, mm -hmm. simply because, mm -hmm. if you look at the video, you can tell he just cares about it, as I think any sensible person would. It's just, it's a silly claim, pretty much. Right. And... If it had just been left there, it would have been kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> last month... Tenterhooks. On tenterhooks. Last month in February, Neely posts another video. Because what's happened in the interim is that Warner Chapel have then filed a claim with YouTube claiming the advertising revenue on his original video, the viral one. Wow. On copyright grounds. That he's nicking the copyright of Dark Horse in his video, is what they're saying. Does he play the whole song? Right, let me give you the details here. Okay. They claimed copyright infringement, despite, A, this was an entirely a fair use situation. Right. There's a fair use doctrine that means that you're allowed to use excerpts of a work within reason in order to make comments about it. Mm -hmm. It was clearly a fair use thing. He was comparing two songs and talking about a copyright claim. Yeah. Secondly, there was no direct use of the actual recording. Really? No, no, there was no sample or anything from the songs. Either of the songs in there. Incredible. He played all of his audio examples on a little keyboard. Okay, so none of the waveform was actually used. Yeah. Thirdly, it was despite the fact that Neely himself had been on loads of media outlets. Defending Warner Chapel, and this hurts because, <laughs> you know, he, he, as you say, he has a large YouTube following. He is not a big fish compared to Warner Chapel, and he stuck his neck out to defend them, and this is how they respond? My God! And even better, if you start thinking about it more, it makes even less sense. Because they had just lost a copyright case. <laughs> So it wasn't their copyright. <laughs> yes, yes, they'd literally just been told by a court that this series of notes that presumably he was quoting and sharing were not theirs. It did not belong to them. So it gets even better. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
He looked into the copyright claim itself. If your stuff is claimed as being the copyright of someone else on YouTube, they'll give you a little notice. Mm -hmm. And on this notice, it said, the reason that Warner Chappell claimed the advertising revenue from his video was because the video uses the song's melody of Dark Horse. And it doesn't, because it's the like the backing little riff ostinato thing behind the, the song's melody. <laughs> Furthermore, it was manually claimed. It wasn't an algorithm. It wasn't just something of some database going, oh, uh, we've automatically detected something that sounds like our song. It was manually claimed, and they identified the section of the video that had the infringing bit in it, a 10-second section, in which he's demonstrating the melody from Joyful Noise. <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> so the person at Warner Chapel who was supposed to be claiming copyright for Dark Horse couldn't tell the difference. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my. I am so filled with curiosity because I have to believe oh. that these are not at root stupid people. You know, <laughs> perhaps they are led by malice or unsympathetic motives. But, you know, if they're in there to get money, yeah. there's got to be a better way. It just seems like <laughs> such a... And also, there have been enough cases at this point mm. of popular YouTubers hit with bogus copyright claims who then turn around and make a hugely viral video about the bogusness of the copyright claim Yes, that you would think it would have to go at least over one person's desk before it gets sent out. God, yeah. One person who could say, wait, no. I tell you what, should we piss off a viral YouTuber? Yes, who's our one voice of defence? I mean, we're only in the entertainment industry. I know. Oh, wow. What harm can it do? I hope this circles back to Katy Perry. <laughs> I, I really do. I hope, it, I hope it lands all the way at her doorstep. Well, the thing is that since that video was released, there have been a few little postscripts that I'll, I'll leave you with. Yes, please. First one is, Warner Chapel, I think very sensibly, eventually dropped their claim on Neely's video, as far as I understand. So they stopped claiming his revenue. With an apology? Ah, uh, well, you would kind of hope so, but he said nothing about it that I've seen. Right. Literally, the day before yesterday, we're recording this on the 20th of March, Katy Perry won her appeal. Wait, what? Judge Christina A. Snyder ruled, the eight-note ostinato in Joyful Noise is not a particularly unique or rare combination. Okay. And vacated the damages claim, so Katy Perry and her publisher aren't now liable for $2.8 million. <laughs> Although I believe there is still an appeals process that the Joyful Noise people now can go through as well. Or can counter-appeal her appeal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But we now come to the moment that's a bit like, you know, in the X-Files, mm. they'd spend the whole episode kind of debunking the paranormal nature of whatever was being investigated to the point where it felt that they'd proved that it all had a perfectly scientific, logical explanation. And then right at the end, you see one little thing that makes you go, uh? <laughs> yes, yes. Now, the one little thing that makes you go, uh, here is someone was commenting on, uh, I read some article, I can't remember the guy now, I'm afraid. Someone was commenting on whether he felt that Neely's assessment of whether these two themes were similar or not was correct, or whether Todd Decker's was. Okay. And he sided with Todd Decker. And as part of this, one of the things he pointed out that said to him that morally, Katy Perry's team, he felt, had actually directly referenced Joyful Noise to create their production, was that at 11 seconds in Joyful Noise, a rapper comes on and goes, You know what it is? And at 10 seconds in Dark Horse, a rapper comes on and goes, You'll know what it is! <laughs> <laughs> I told you, you're doing the end of X-Files face. I am. I 300% am. I had <laughs> such a strong opinion. And you know what? It's not particularly holding up anymore. All the way through this story, 
I'm totally on the side of Neely and, by extension, Katy Perry, and think, well, this is just a frivolous copyright thing. And yet, that one little bit then just pulls the moral rug from under Katy Perry. Yeah. That is just too much of a coincidence. They can't not be referencing that recording. Oh my goodness, that's such a brain breaker. Yep. I had all my preconceptions justified. I was all happy. <laughs> I've got it all sorted out. Thank you, Darius. You have made my month. Which means it is time to thank our sponsor. John, who do we have this month? So I would like to, Rob, I would like to offer a huge (laughs) thanks this month to Make It Pop. Yes. Now, Mike, I want you to imagine us in a studio. Mm. Okay, we're doing a a vocal session with you probably for your debut single for being the winner of next year's Voice Germany. Yes, well, I'm already planning. (laughs) Well, well, you know, we'll talk. I'm sure, you know, we've got a few ideas for what it could be as well. Mm. And uh, I set you up in front of a microphone and then I position in between you and the microphone a kind of circle over which seems to be stretched some sort of meshy material. Mm. What are you going to assume I've just put in between you and the mic? Well, that'll be a pop shield, John. Oh, you would think so, wouldn't you? And in past years, you might be right, but Make It Pop is changing that, Mike. What I've actually put there is a Make It Pop Pop Stop Stopper. Oh, wow. And a Pop Stop Stopper only let through those crisp, explosive plosives that everyone craves in their ears. Okay. Nothing will reach the mic but the puzz. Mm. The cuz. Yeah. And the juicy, juicy tuz of every <laughs> lyric in the song. There's an editing challenge for you. <laughs> <laughs> I could just see you straining. I could see I, there was a vein standing out on your neck. <laughs> and I'm looking at my waveform here on Reaper, and it's a bit disappointing to be honest with you. I was hoping for something a bit more dramatic, but fine. Yes, so Make It Pop, the Pop Stop Stopper, is our sponsor, adding that kind of punch and um, energy. Impact. The songs have been missing, vocal performances particularly, have been missing yeah. for so, so long. So thank you so much, Make It Pop. And if, like Rob, you would like to enjoy extra fruits of our labours, we have hundreds, well, no, not quite hundreds, <laughs> more than a hundred. Dozens! Well, we now have almost as much material on the Patreon as we have off it. That's quite something. We've got loads of extra stuff. Juicy fruits of our juicy labours. Just in the last month, we had a section on history and mangoes. We had the English word for crochet. We had... The second verse of God Save the Queen and A Hungry Little Vampire. Oh my goodness. All these goodies. Join Rob. Support the podcast. Get over to Patreon and sign up. And that will be very much appreciated by us, of course, as an independent podcast. And so what is that Facebook address then, John? Oh, our Facebook. I'm so glad you asked. Facebook.com forward slash PSTB books, B-O-O-K-S. Or indeed, you could tweet at us at Twitter.com forward slash PTSB tweets. Judging by the Twitter account you just said, it's Project T Studio Break. Oh, darn it. Okay, PSTB. P- shall, we re- shall we re-record that? Are we going to rely on our listeners? Oh, I think, I think that's probably okay. <laughs> Listeners, it's on you now. I've I've gone as far as I can. (laughs) Good luck. I'm sorry I couldn't take you further. (laughs) And our email is tbreak at projectstudioteabreak.com. Have a lovely month. Ta-ra. Ta-ra, pets. (laughs) 